Hello, and welcome to the Hasta La Visa Baby podcast, a deep dive into U.S. immigration law and its relationship to fictitious characters in television and film. My name is Shai Dayan. I am an immigration attorney with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. And joining me today, as he does for every episode, he's also an immigration attorney. He's also with Gibney, Anthony, and Flaherty, but he's based in New York, and his favorite holiday is Halloween because he loves the free candy. It's Mr. Roderick Potts. <laughs> that I do love free candy, Shy. Just like the character we're going to be talking about today. That's right. I love the free candy. <laughs> How are you today, Rod? <laughs> I'm all right. I'm doing all right. How are you doing today? Well, we're recording and it's August of 2021. And I haven't been to New York in two years because of this pandemic. And I have great news for you, Rod. As you know, I will be making my return to New York for a visit sometime around Labor Day weekend. Look at that. Don Giovanni himself returning. People in the office are, are really excited. There's already a sign-in sheet to take pictures of the two with the two of us. <laughs> you know, we haven't been together in person since we started the podcast. So That's everybody, right. they can't wait to see us together. Yeah. Well, we're, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do a little promo tour around the office. Are you ready for me? Do you remember what it was even like to have my, my aura and my, my presence around? I remember the exhaustion well, Shai. Yes. That's, <laughs> <laughs> I tell people I, I moved to LA voluntarily, but I think uh, they wanted me to get as far away as possible from New York. <laughs> At least they sent me somewhere nice. Yes, they did. Well, it'll be great to have you back. Looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. And another thing I can't wait to do is to get into this episode because we have another doozy, don't we? Mm, we sure do. But before we get into our doozy, we have to go over the rules because there might be some first-time listeners out there and we want to welcome them in. There yeah. might be some repeat listeners who just want a refresher. And for you and I, it's always good to refresh what we're doing. Always good because we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> just winging it. <laughs> so every episode, we focus on a particular movie or television show that features a foreign national character living in the US. We do a deep dive into the movie or television show focusing on the specific foreign national character. We are going to use our immigration detective skills to figure out what the character's U.S. visa status may have been, what problems or issues the character may have faced while living in the U.S., and we are going to talk about a hypothetical consultation if the character came to us to ask for advice. And very important, we are going to imagine that all the characters we talk about are in a 2021 U.S. immigration world. So, Rod, today... We have another television show. We've been doing a lot of movies, and I think it's time to get some television shows into the roster. That sounds good to me. So let's talk about a uh, comedy from the late 90s and early 2000s called That 70s Show. I love this show. And Rod, let's have a recap of what this show was all about. All right. Yeah. I, you know, this, this show came out when I was in college, as I imagine it probably similar for you, Shai. And I, you know, I caught, I caught episodes here and there. I was never a like religious watcher of the show, but I always enjoyed it. And I caught it when I could, but I yeah, always liked the show and um, looking forward to chatting about it. Yeah, definitely a funny show. It came out when I was at the end of high school and uh, I did watch it a lot. So what happened in this show, Rod? All right. So that 70s show was a comedy that ran on Fox from 1998 until 2006. It follows the lives of a group of teenage friends living in the fictional town of Point Place, Wisconsin, between the years of 1976 and 1979. 
The group is comprised of Eric, the ringleader. He's always being picked on for being scrawny and a little bit nerdy. Kelso, who's a dim-witted but very handsome ladies' man. Hyde, the cool and witty, grew up on the wrong side of the tracks type. Donna, the intelligent and socially progressive friend. Jackie, the materialistic cheerleader. And finally, Fez, a foreign exchange student learning about American life through trial and error. Much of the show takes place at Eric's house, and in particular in his basement. That's where the kids hang out. There's very little parental supervision. Eric's parents feature in the show a fair bit. His father, Red, is a U.S. military veteran. He's extremely strict, and he's very tough on Eric. Eric's mom, Kitty, is the complete opposite. She spoils and babies him at every opportunity. The show follows the adventures of the group as, as they make their way through high school and deals with themes including high school dating, teenage alcohol, marijuana, generational conflicts, the 70s sexual attitudes, and also the economic hardships of the, of the period. Yeah, that's a good description. Uh, there's a lot going on with this show. There's so many characters. I really love the ensemble cast. I think kind of Friends started this trend where there were so many characters and you learned a little bit about each character and it all came together really well. And as far as the 70s are concerned, you know, Rod, I wasn't around in the 70s whatsoever. I was born in the 80s. So <laughs> the only thing that I know about the 70s is what I consumed and what I do consume from pop culture. So sure. I have I have three places where I go for all my 70s references mm-hmm. and uh, two TV shows and one movie. So the TV shows that I get all of my 70s references from are Three's Company, which actually was shot in the 70s. Yeah, classic show. Yeah, uh, Los Angeles in the 70s. Very interesting. That 70s show, of course, which even though it was filmed in the 90s and the 2000s, I think you were saying that it's a pretty fair representation of the 70s because you had a a colleague who said that it's exactly like it was, right? Yeah. So I did, I had it when the show first aired, I, I had a job at a part-time job while I was in school. And I did, I worked with a woman who grew up and I forget exactly. She was in the Midwest, in the, you know, the upper Midwest from either Wisconsin or Minnesota or somewhere around there. And, you know, we, I asked her if she'd seen the show and she, you know, quietly sort of said, yeah. And I believe she described it as painfully accurate or something like that, disappointingly accurate, or something like that. She said it very much reflected at least her experience in high school. So I thought that was kind of funny. It's awesome to hear that the show is actually uh, indicative of what was going on in the 70s. And yeah, it's, it's, oh, you, it could be looked at as a documentary. <laughs> All the, most of the shows we've done are very accurate, very accurate <laughs> documentary types. Yeah. I, also, I also got a lot of references from a, a movie called Dazed and Confused, which follows a bunch of high school kids in the 70s in Texas, we've spoken about this on one of our previous episodes. We'll never do it because there weren't any foreign nationals on the show, but still good 70s. And what about you, Rod? Where did you get your, your 70s knowledge and where do you form your 70s ideas from? So I was born in the 1970s, the tail end of the 1970s, but I was alive for part of it. I don't think I really have any real memories from it. I think I was too young. But when I want to learn what life was like in the 70s, I usually turn to Cheech and Chong, either their their comedy albums or their movies. I think there's a lot of a lot of great you know information and accurate you know sort of lifestyle stuff to be mined from those. Tommy Chong, of course, we'll discuss later in this episode. And I just I love 1970s films. You know, I love the grittiness. You know, that whole that whole just all the wherever they take place. You know, I live in New York. I'm partial to movies 
that took place in New York in the 1970s, like Taxi Driver and that sort of stuff. But any 70s movies, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of 70s horror and exploitation as well. So any sort of weird 70s fringe stuff, you know, put it in front of me, I'll watch it. Well, that's the great thing about TV movies. We can learn about times we've never been to before. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about some interesting uh, facts about that 70s show. So I don't know if you knew this, Rod, but that 70s show is actually Fox's second longest running live action sitcom ever. It's only behind a little show called Married with Children. That's You see, that's interesting. That's a fact I did not know. That's, that's pretty fascinating. Doing the research. Yeah. I found that out. So that, you know, the 70s show had some had some longevity there. It did. Great. It did. The series was nominated for 16 Primetime Emmy Awards, but only won once in 1999 for Best Costume Design for a Disco-themed episode. <laughs> very very 70s, very apropos. Yeah. The first working title for the show was Teenage Wasteland. They also explored other titles such as The Kids Are All Right, Feeling All Right, and Reeling in the Years. But I'm really glad they went with that 70s show because I think... It pops. I think it's just a really good name for for a show. Yeah, I think I think that works out better. I mean, you know, some of these these are good '70s references. There's some you know musical references and stuff in there. But yeah, I agree with you. I think that '70s show is definitely just a, a better a better title for this. For sure. Listen to this one. Even though the show ran for eight years, it only covers three to four years of actual life. So <laughs> you see, you know, these kids uh, getting a lot older, even though only three to four years are supposed to pass by. Pretty funny. Yeah, and, definitely. In, in, in looking back over some of the episodes and watching some old clips and stuff like that, it's, it's pretty interesting to watch them age over that eight-year period. And then finally, and a lot of people know this, the characters of Kelso, played by Ashton Kutcher, and Jackie, played by Mila Kunis, they were an on-again, off-again romantic couple on the show. Their characters dated. Well, years after the show ended, Kutcher and Kunis were actually married in real life. And uh, from what I understand, the two of them are very happy to this day. Good for those kids. Yeah, good for them. I didn't realize they were an actual couple. That's great. See, you're learning. I'm learning. Yeah. We, and we, this, it's, this is a very educational podcast. Yeah. It's a nice example of how life imitates art. Perfect example. Speaking of art, Let's talk about the character of focus today, because we are supposed to talk about a foreign national character. And mm -hmm. today we're going to be talking about the character known as Fez. All and right. he was played by uh, Wilmer Valderrama. So, Rod, please give everybody a breakdown of who in the world Fez was. All right. So Fez, as we as you mentioned, Fez is a foreign exchange student and he becomes friends with with the gang, with Eric Hyde and Kelso at, at school. And the country of origin, you know, where he's from is never revealed over the course of the series. That's one of the longest running gags of the show. Whenever Fez is asked where he's from, he always gives some sort of vague answer or changes the subject. He usually just refers to his homeland as my country. And Valderrama, the, the actor, stated that he fabricated the character's accent so that no one would be able to identify what country Fez is from. He tried to make it very nonspecific. Fez also is not the character's real name. Fez stands for F-E-S, Foreign Exchange Student. And that's what everyone refers to him because his real name was deemed by Hyde at one point to be too difficult to pronounce. Eric's father, Red, constantly refers to Fez by other uh, somewhat bigoted names, including foreign kid, Tarzan, and Tonto. 
the writers did this to poke fun at Red's ethnocentrism. He's portrayed as a bit of an Archie Bunker type in the course of the series. Uh, Fez is is constantly on the prowl, you know, trying to date and pick up girls, usually with very little success. He's depicted as a, as hypersexual and is often lusting after Jackie and Donna throughout the series. He's also obsessed with candy and chocolate, and many episodes revolve around his cravings for these treats. Uh, toward the end of the show's run, Fez actually does marry Eric's older sister, Laurie, so he can apply for a green card and stay in the United States. Thank you for that breakdown, Rod. You know what I love about Fez? A lot of times when we do our episodes, we have to reach, we have to, you know, try to figure out what somebody's visa status was, figure out, you know, whether they were a foreign national or not. There's mm-hmm. so many episodes on the show where Fez's visa status is actually <laughs> dealt with. So yeah, it's, I, it's, it's addressed quite a bit on the show. Yeah. And again, usually we can tell if a character is foreign by the accent and, and by what the character tells us. In this case, we have both Fez has this wacky accent, an, an undetermined accent, and he also uh, talks about you know where he's from quite a bit. And I think, Rod, just to give the listeners an example of Fez and, and what we're dealing with here, I, I wanted to play this clip for everybody. Where do you live? America. <laughs> it's pronounced America. That's what I said, America. <laughs> America. 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 So that's Fez. Had a little trouble pronouncing things, and that was Red talking to Fez, and mm-hmm. uh, a little funny exchange between the two of them, so you could see what their dynamic was. Let's talk about Fez and his immigration status. Basically, Again, if you're not a U.S. citizen and you're not a green card holder, you're going to need a visa to live and attend high school in the United States. And that's what Fez does. He lives in the United States and he attends high school in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, Rod, what kind of visa would allow somebody to do this? So there's actually more than one visa category that would allow someone like Fez to attend high school in the U.S. You don't say, Rod. It's true, Shai. And, and, and if you could give me a moment, let me, let me explain them to you. Please do. So the first one would be the F-1 student visa. The F-1 student visa allows a foreign national to enter the U.S. to study at the university, high school, or private elementary level, as well as at a seminary, conservatory, or language program. The academic institution must be approved by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security through the Student Exchange and Visitor Program, often referred to as SEVP. Once the foreign student is accepted by an approved educational institution and that student receives the proper documentation from the the institution, uh, the foreign student will have to appear at a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad to apply for the actual F-1 visa. Once that visa is issued, the student may enter the U.S. and commence studies at the approved academic institution. We mostly see F-1 visas issued to those studying at the university level. Very interesting, Rod. And F-1 students, now, can they stay in the United States permanently or or do they have to leave after they complete their studies? They cannot stay. And uh, as a matter of fact, I know this and Fez knew this. Yes, Fez knew this too. Let's listen to Fez explain the situation. And they did a background check and found out that my student visa expires when I graduate from high school. Yeah, now I have to leave the country after graduation. That's in a week. And I have to relearn my native language. (laughs) Go 
good day. No, Fez. I said, I should live at so, yeah, so Fez knew that after his student visa expired, he was going to have to leave the United States. Pretty, pretty difficult on Fez, no? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, he's he, he definitely unhappy about that. So we've got the um, F-1 student uh, visa. And mm-hmm. Rod, you mentioned that there's another type of visa program for students. Did you? I did, Jai. And that would be the J-1 exchange visitor program. I see. So the J-1 Exchange Visitor Program allows high school students to travel to the United States to study at an accredited public or private high school and live with an American host family or stay at an accredited boarding school. The student must be at least 15 years old, but no older than 18, sorry, no older than 18 years and six months as of the program start date. The student must not have finished more than 11 years of primary and secondary school And finally, the student must not have participated in a secondary school student academic year or semester in the U.S. in the past. Very interesting. So two different types of visas, both afforded to students. And Rod, so what's the process for the foreign student to apply for this J-1 exchange visitor program? Must be quite the process. It's a little, you know, a little different than the F1. The student must first apply for and be accepted into an exchange visitor program through a designated sponsoring organization in the United States. Uh, so there are specific standalone programs that run these uh, sort of exchange programs. After the student is accepted, the student's registered into that same student and exchange visitor uh, information system. It's called SEVIS, run by that same SEVP organization. Finally, the student will need to schedule and appear uh, for a J-1 visa appointment at a U.S. embassy or consulate abroad. Assuming all goes well, the student receives the J-1 visa and is able to enter the United States to you know, go connect with the host family or go to the boarding facility and start studying and live in the United States. And in the context of a host family, how does a U.S. family even become a host family? So a family in the U.S. has to register for an approved international exchange program. The most likely scenario is the U.S. family has a high school age student who wants to study abroad. So the family sends its student to live with a foreign host family. And in return, the U.S. family hosts that foreign family's high school age student. So it's it's a bit of a of a swap of students with with a family abroad. Yeah, it's like trading, trading kids. You take our kid, we'll take your kid. Let's have some cultural cultural experiences. Yep. Yeah. And and about the host family, I, I know some families who probably wouldn't be good host families. Uh, I've seen some families out there probably wouldn't want to want the foreigners, um, you know, exposed to them. What kind of requirements are for there to for you to be a, a host family? Sure, most uh, host families have to provide uh, the following uh, for for an exchange student. They have to provide a bed, storage space, access to a bathroom, a study space, three quality meals a day and transportation to and from school. Those quality meals, who judges Who judges what quality is? That's a great question. I have no idea, Shai. I mean, <laughs> it's quality, quality, and it's just quality. It doesn't say high quality. Just, it could just, be low quality. Just so, quality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I, think the, I think the regulations should, should define that one a little bit better. Yeah, this makes me think of the uh, the Charlie Brown film, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown and Don't Come Back, when he stays at the the chateau in France. And <laughs> every day he's just given a bowl of soup and a, and a chunk of bread for breakfast. You would think that in France they would have been a little bit better about that. You would assume. but You would think so. Yeah, not in so, that film. Well, between the <clears throat> F1 student visa 
and the J1 Exchange Visitor Program, I'm going to say, Rod, that I think Fez had a J1 visa. You know, this is because in the show, Fez has a host family. The host family is referred to many times throughout the course of the show. And we even see Fez's bedroom at his host family's house. It's pretty funny, actually. Fez's bedroom is like a children's bedroom. He has a race car bed. He has all kinds of games. Kelso really likes it. So Mm -hmm. I think based upon the fact that he's with a host family, it's a J-1 visa. What do you say about that? I agree. I definitely agree. For all the reasons you stated, it just sounds like the way they discuss the situation, J-1 is the most most logical. So I definitely agree with you there. Well, we might not have been ever able to figure out what country Fez is from, but we did figure out that he had a J-1 visa. So that's a start, wouldn't you say? I would think so. And now, Rod, I wanted to talk with you about something a little bit more fun or, or just as fun. So in the show, all the kids during their, their high school careers, they also have after-school jobs. Eric worked with his dad at Price Smart, and he even worked at um, a restaurant called Fatso Burger. Mm-hmm. Tana worked as a DJ at a local radio station. Hyde worked at a photo hut. Kelso, of course, because he was so handsome, he did some modeling for a department store catalog. Jackie worked at a cheese store in the mall. And even Fez worked at the DMV. So (laughs) all these high school kids had jobs. So I thought it would be fun, Rod, if you and I could talk a little bit about perhaps our favorite high school jobs. What do you think about that, Rod? Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so yeah, I, I understand you had uh, quite the gig uh, when <laughs> you, know, you were in high school. Did you not? When I was in high school, I worked for a catering company and even a little bit into college too. But uh, yeah, so I did work at a catering company and I worked in the kitchen as a dishwasher. I did a little bit of cooking as well. It was quite the job. I actually really liked it. It was my first sort of like real job and I really enjoyed it to this day. Some of my you know favorite working memories come from that job. I worked, uh, the chef who ran the kitchen was a bit of an eccentric guy. And when um, he used to listen to the radio, uh, he used to just play the radio, you know, the whole time while we were working uh, on our shifts. And he he would change the lyrics to the song. He would sing along with the songs and change the lyrics and, and make them just all sorts of absurd, crazy things, often sexual in nature. It was a culinary, uh, you know, it was wow. a restaurant job, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, we, we all, we all had, we all had fun. Well, let's, had uh, it was a shocking, shocking place. Let's go back to the chef and his talent for, uh, yeah, sure. re- replacing lyrics, sexual lyrics. Did this ever make you feel uncomfortable, Rod? It never actually made me feel uncomfortable. His lyrics were absurd enough that it was uh, pretty ridiculous. Something tells me in 2021, HR would be in there right away. I feel like at this different time, absolutely. And yeah, perhaps he might have uh, gotten himself into a little bit of trouble if it were today. Yeah. Yeah. I bet bet you got really rich at that job. All that high school, (laughs) all that high school after school money. That I did not. (laughs) Well, Well, speaking of not getting rich in high school... I alluded to a high school job in the last episode, and um, in between my uh, senior year and my freshman year of college, I worked at a Burger King. I have to hear all about this. So so in New York, there was a new Burger King that opened in uh, my neighborhood. It was the the summer of 1999. We were all finishing up school for the year, and uh, the Burger King was taking applications. So me and a lot of my friends, there were probably about 15 of us from high school, either in my class or the or the class below us. We all knew each other. We all decided to apply for Burger King jobs. We got those jobs. Wow. And we basically ran a Burger King for about three months. Wow. 
This wow, Burger what? King wasn't your everyday Burger King. It actually was like a movie themed Burger King. They had like Hollywood paraphernalia everywhere. Huh. So it was a prelude to what I would be doing here in the business, yeah. talking yeah. about entertainment. Getting an early start. I like it. Yeah. What, what, what was your job at the Burger King? Oh, boy. So naturally, I worked my way up. I started off uh, in the back of the house. I was on the fry machine. I was on the chicken tender machine, burning myself with oil constantly. Did I sneak chicken tenders into my pocket and eat them while I was working? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Oh, I man. Uh, I was on I was on the burger station. But, you know, Rod, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a real people person. So Mm. I demanded put me in the front of the house and I I made my way to the front of the house. Did I have arguments with customers about customers trying to use coupons (laughs) that they didn't have? Yes, I did. I believe it. I believe it. Yes. Did, Did somebody once ask me why our prices were advertised on TV lower than they were in the restaurant. And did I say, I don't know, ma'am, I don't make the TV. Yes, I did say that. (laughs) But, but Rod, I think my favorite story of Burger King, and you're going to appreciate this one is, is as follows. So in the parking lot of this Burger King to attract the kids, we had something called the Whopper Hopper. Now the Whopper Hopper was a large inflatable Whopper, kind of like a bounce house. What would happen is, is the kids would go into the Whopper Hopper and they would jump up and down and they would bounce up and down, right? You're right. So they always needed somebody to supervise the Whopper Hopper. The worst employee was always supervising the Whopper Hopper, somebody who couldn't cut it in the kitchen or in the front of the sure. house. Right. So I had a friend, let's call him Phil. And Phil was really awful at his job. He couldn't take care of things in the back of the house, couldn't take care of things in the front of the house. So the manager on a weekday told Phil, this is like three o'clock, four o'clock on a weekday, absolutely nobody in the restaurant, nobody in the parking lot said, Phil, go, go supervise the Whopper Hopper. So Phil is out there in the parking lot by himself supervising the Whopper Hopper. And I'm doing my thing in the restaurant. And mm-hmm. I turn and I look outside and all of a sudden the Whopper Hopper is bouncing up and down uncontrollably. And <laughs> Phil, a grown 17-year-old boy, is in the Whopper mm. Hopper jumping up and down. Wow. The manager Fantastic. goes the manager goes into the parking lot. He yells at Phil, "Get in the restaurant." And he fires Phil on the spot. Phil takes his apron off. He throws it on the floor and he says, "No, no, no. I'm not fired. I quit." Ah, uh, that's that's the American dream right there. <laughs> Phil, you can't fire me. I quit. Phil proceeded to uh, get into his mother's Mercury Sable and drive away. <laughs> And that's fantastic. That's there's more stories, so uh, I'm sure I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll continue. I, I hope we didn't I'm, lose I'm, all of our listeners because you know I'm, I'm looking forward to those. I, you, you didn't lose me, shy. I'm 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 here. I'm looking yeah. forward to more of those stories. For everybody out there who has a, a funny high school job story, send us an email. Yes, we'll, we'll send give, it in. Yeah, we'll give you a, a the email address at the end of the show. Yep. All right, everybody. That that was a lot of fun. Uh, let's have some more fun. We're gonna do a, a hypothetical consultation with our boy Fez the foreign exchange student. So as alluded to earlier, Fez's student visa was set to expire upon high school graduation. So to remain in the U.S. and attain a green card, Fez married Eric's older sister, Lori, after a camping trip that they all took together. The marriage basically came out of nowhere. These two did not have any type of serious relationship. Eric's sister did not like Fez. The news of the marriage also gave Eric and Lori's father, Red, a heart attack. So 
as you may know, Rod, I think I think you might have heard this. Marriage to a U.S. citizen provides for the ability to apply for a marriage-based green card so that the applicant can remain in the U.S. permanently. Mm-hmm. So we're going to assume that Fez would have come to you and I for legal advice regarding the marriage-based green card sponsorship process. He would have wanted to know what he had to do to file for right. a green card. And Rod, before we get into Fez's unique situation, can you just give us a little bit of a background, perhaps, about how the marriage-based green card sponsorship process even works? Yeah, definitely. So once, once a couple is legally married, the U.S. citizen spouse files what is known as an immigrant petition on behalf of the non-U.S. citizen spouse. Simultaneously, the non-U.S. spouse can currently file what's known as an adjustment of status application. It's also known as the green card application. Right. So we've got two different kind of applications going on at the same time, but basically they'll give the right to a foreign person to get a green card. And I imagine you have to submit all kinds of documentation. So Rod, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what kind of information and evidence has to be submitted with this whole application package. Sure. So what what we we in the in the immigration law field refer to them as the bona fides of the marriage. Oh, that's Latin, isn't it? That's Latin. It just means the real deal. Mm. So you're you're often described as the real deal, Rod. That's right. I'm Mr. Bonafides. So, you know, this is the kind of stuff that they have to, that you have to provide. You basically have to show that the marriage is legitimate. And so not only does all documentation from the legal marriage need to be submitted, but proof of the U.S. citizen's spouse's U.S. citizenship, financial documentation, including the ability for the U.S. citizen spouse to financially support the foreign national spouse. If need be, you have to submit that. You have to have proof that the foreign spouse legally entered the United States. Documents to show that the couple actually married in good faith, have a legitimate marriage, you know, all that sort of stuff. So this this good faith uh, thing, pretty interesting. And mm-hmm. when you talk about good faith, what kind of proof can you perhaps show to demonstrate that a marriage was entered into, as they say, in good faith. So really what you're looking for there is to show that the two people did not marry for purposes of immigration, getting the green card. So you want to show that it's a real marriage. These people got married because they wanted to be married to each other. So you showed things like pictures of the couple together, evidence of trips taken together, evidence that they cohabitate. So like mail that has that's sent to both of them or you know, mail showing the they both live in the same place, evidence of joint financial records, affidavits from friends, family, attesting to the good faith of the marriage, stuff along those lines. I found in my experience as an immigration attorney that they really love the immigration services, joint financial documents, joint credit cards, joint bank accounts. It looks like immigration services, they feel that the commingling of money is the sign of love and good faith. Would you agree Mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There's a couple of things that I always point out. You know, that's one of the things. Being the beneficiary on somebody's insurance policy is something that I know that USCIS likes. And when it comes to photos, I often recommend if you can get a photo with the spouse's family, Mm. not just you two on vacation together, but here's me and my spouse's, you know, here's me and my spouse and her family, or here's me and my spouse and his family. I think that goes a long way. I know the officers like to see that because it, you wouldn't be hanging out with the spouse's family if it were all a sham or yeah. you'd be less likely to. So A guilty pleasure of mine is that uh, one of my favorite parts about doing a marriage-based case is I love looking at the pictures. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> They're always fun. Is it creepy? I don't know. You'd be the judge, but I like it. it yeah, it depends. Yeah, I don't care. I like it. 
<laughs> so let's talk about the application to Fez, okay? Because we have sure. some we have some issues here. So Fez comes to us somehow. He he gets to the New York office or he gets to LA and and we we talk with him. The problem here is that everyone on the show, including Fez, including Lori, they all admit that this marriage was not entered to in good faith. It really appears that Fez and Lori were only married so that Fez could get a green card and that he could stay in the U.S. And Rod, that's a no-no, isn't it? That is a no-no. You know, you can't get a green card based on a marriage that was entered into solely for immigration purposes. Right. And if, if Fez came to us and, and we had this knowledge, what would we be able to do? Would we be able to represent him? No. As a matter of fact, ethically, there'd be very little that we could do. You know, I think we would be limited to saying we can't represent you. And we are, we're duty bound to tell you that you should not file for a green card. And I think we have to tell him of some of the consequences if he did. Yeah. And, and, you know, let's say, let's say Fez came to us and, you know, he had all the pictures he, he put on a show for us because unfortunately, sometimes this happens. People put on mm-hmm. a good show and we filed the case because we did it in good faith. We didn't know that the marriage based case was a bad case. You know, many months after the petition is filed, what happens? I think that the couple, they're scheduled for an interview at the immigration offices. Is that correct? Yeah. So a few months after, and sometimes many months after the green card, the petition and the application are filed, the couple gets called in for an appointment with uh, the immigration service and they come in and they conduct an interview, the service conducts an interview. And at the interview, the officer meets with the couple, reviews the application, reviews all the evidence, asks some questions to ensure that the marriage was entered into in good faith. And if the interview is successful, then it will result in the issuance of the green card. Right. So the thing is this, is that even if Fez got past us, which he probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have, because we can crack, we can crack a fake marriage. We know. Yeah. We right. know. Then we know. at the interview, you know, when the officer is meeting with Fez and meeting with Laurie, I think there could have been a problem. I think the, the officer might have been suspicious because Fez, he just runs his mouth. He doesn't really, you know, right. doesn't keep yeah. it to himself. No, he does not. And, and Rod, if Fez was caught and his case was denied because they, the USCIS said you you entered into a sham marriage, what are the consequences to poor Fez? Well, he certainly is not going to get his green card. He would find himself likely removable, potentially subject to criminal prosecution because it's considered, you know, committing fraud on the federal government is a crime. And he would likely be removed and deemed inadmissible for returning to the United States under most circumstances. So it would be pretty severe, the punishment I think that he'd be he'd be looking at. And Lori could potentially be looking at some liability as well. She would have filed something with the immigration service that would have been deemed potentially to be fraudulent. So she could be in trouble for that. And then having entered into a marriage, there's state laws that govern marriage, obviously. And if she's marrying, that she could be uh, you know, potentially liable for some sort of state level fraud charge as well. So right. it's a pretty, it can be a pretty serious, pretty serious yeah. thing. Yeah. Everyone out there, don't do it. If you're going to get married, yeah. do it, do it for the yeah, right we, reasons. We, we recommend against against yeah. green card sham marriages. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, we would have told Fez if he came to us, we would have probably told him, you know, you're going to you could be placed into removal proceedings. You could be barred from coming back to the United States again. Probably best to just depart the United States or maybe even change your status to a tourist status. Maybe go to university so you can extend your, you know, change to an F1 visa. But the problem for Fez is, is that this marriage was bad in the show. He got away with it. But in real life, he would not have. No. And then also in the show, just wanted to point out in the show, we see a, an immigration officer come to the house to interview the couple in person. 
I don't think that mm-hmm. happens. I've never heard of something like that. Have you? No, no. I've only heard of people being had to go into the office to, for the interviews. I've never heard of a home visit. But it's Hollywood. So in Hollywood, yeah, it happens. Yeah. Well, problem solved. Uh, consultation. We would have stopped Fez from going forward with this. We probably would have had him go back to his home country, wherever that is. And it would have saved him a lot of trouble and maybe some jail time. Mm-hmm. Well, Rod, now that we've solved Fez and all of his issues, let's have some uh, talk about the overall takeaways from this this fantastic TV show. <laughs> all right. So I'm going to throw some things out there, Rod. Let's see. Let's see what what we can come up with here. Okay. Okay. Uh, high school kids. I don't think they have that much time to hang out together all the time, especially in one friend's basement. I mean, these kids are always in Eric's basement. Always. They are. Yeah, they're always there. Yeah. Are they? Is there homework to do? Is there? Is there anything else going on? The show very rarely concentrates on the school, their schoolwork at all. It does show them in school and certainly does their episodes that deal with specific school stresses and stuff like that. But no, most of the time they're just at leisure time doing nothing but hanging out in Eric's basement. Yeah. yeah just a few years ago when you were in high school, did you uh, hang out in, in someone's house all the time, every day? All <laughs> Not the all the time. Yeah. Never the same place. That, right. that definitely wasn't my, I mean, there were kids houses that were hangouts. Right more than others but there wasn't like one not like in this show there's yeah. like you know Eric's basement is the place where the same and I never hung out with the same four people every day yeah that it gets kind of boring and nobody would yeah. want to hang out with me that much anyway <laughs> uh, speaking of 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 the basement and hanging out together the show is really yeah clever because it's insinuated that the gang hang out in the basement they smoke pot together we never actually see them smoking we never see paraphernalia we see them right. sitting in a circle with some puffy puffy you know smoke in the air and they're always acting as if they were high not that we know what that's yeah. like but we've heard sure yeah we've yeah heard. i've read books and yeah uh, yeah i've i've seen you, it. you've watched you've watched dazed and confused so yeah 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 i've, I've heard about <laughs> it i've read about it yeah. but it was i think that was, that was a clever conceit for the show they never they were never overt about it but it was part of oftentimes part of high school life and it was yeah. it was it was clever the way they did it i thought because it wasn't overt but those who knew knew and those who didn't <laughs> missed it you know it was, how did I, I, how did these kids never get caught? Because they're just I don't know in, how they in the it. house yeah. smoking pot. The smoke travels yeah. up. What, what, right, smoke travels what? up. The, the parent, yeah. I mean, they, I feel like they would have been caught. Yeah. What about the weird kind of incestuous relationships between everybody in this gang? So there were so many different couplings. Let me break it down for you, okay? Eric is with Donna. Jackie was with Kelso. Jackie was with Hyde. Jackie was with Fez. Donna was with Kelso's older brother, Casey. Kelso was with Eric's older sister, Lori. Fez married Lori. I know it's difficult to keep up with all of that, it's, but yeah, my what, head is spinning. What, what? Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. There were just six people to date in the whole the whole community, and that's it. Yeah, so that's weird because I feel like a tight circle of friends like this, it would be very awkward, awkward. for them to be dating each other and relationships getting together and breaking up and stuff like that. There, I feel like there'd be some jealousy and some some feelings about this. And so it's, it's a little bizarre to see, I, to see this. And I guess they were just more mature than you and I were. I guess a lot of people are more mature <laughs> Maybe. even now. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. they say. Yeah. Also, there were a lot of guest stars on this show. We had a Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Jessica Simpson, Seth Green, Shannon Elizabeth, Luke Wilson, Tommy Chong, Ted Nugent, and, uh, James Avery, who played uncle Phil on, uh, a great show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's a big cast Lots of stars of, there. Yeah. yeah, and speaking of things that stars do, one of the, the, the biggest takeaways from the show for me 
is uh, the cast members who joined the Church of Scientology. So <laughs> really, who, yeah, who, yeah. who did that? Danny Masterson, who played Hyde, big, big member of the Church of Scientology. Interesting. And, and Laura Prepon, who played Donna, Church of Scientology. Wow, so, interesting. That's yeah. against type because both of those characters, I feel like, never would have gone near the church right, of Scientology. Right, so, right. It's, 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 that's interesting. I love that you. I love that you found this fact, yeah. and I love that it's your favorite takeaway. Well, you know, the Church of Scientology. <laughs> they advertise the stars here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. They have some pretty nice uh, sized temples. You know, now that yeah. I'm becoming famous, I get flyers. They're uh, asking me to come by, <laughs> and I say, sure. I, I already have a, a place of worship. I'm good. So (laughs) that's very polite of you, Sean. Yeah. I don't know if you heard, but in in the place of worship I'm used to going to, there's also a lot of celebrities. You have mentioned, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, those are the takeaways from the show. Great show. Fez is a wonderful character, uh, really lent itself to immigration. So I was happy that we could talk about him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fit very nicely. The uh, the facts of of the show to the student visa. Definitely. If you haven't done so already, Give it a try. Uh, subscribe to the podcast and, and and give us a rating. All the new listeners out there, we're getting lots of new listeners every month. Subscribe. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family members about it. Four out of five people don't fall asleep when they listen. That's right. That's what. That's what. Those are the latest stats. At least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Two of, that, two of those listeners are us. Okay. <laughs> we can be found on all the major podcast streaming platforms. There's just so many of them. I feel like they're getting added. New ones are getting added all the time. But Rod, there's a few true and tried platforms Mm -hmm. that love us and we love them back. Yeah. Well, we can be found on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Amazon, and et cetera. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have an email address so that you can contact us and you can chat with us. And we received feedback after our last uh, Mr. Miyagi episode, and we're having an interesting dialogue with somebody right now. So we love to hear from you. Rod, we have an email address and you've memorized it. I have. It's astalaviza at gibney.com. H-A-S-T-A-L-A-V-I-S-A at gibney, G-I-B-N-E-Y dot com. Yeah, send us a note. We want to hear from you. Next time, Rod. We are going to cover a little show. Some people may have heard of it. I think you've heard of it. It was, you know, somewhat big. It's called Friends. You've heard of that show? I've heard of it. You've heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, some of you might be thinking, why, what, what, Friends? And yes, Friends, because in season one and in season two, the character of Rachel, played by Jennifer Aniston, she dated an Italian man who spoke very little English named Paolo. He was kind of a nemesis for Ross, who was in love with Rachel. So we're going to talk about Paolo. We're going to talk about what kind of visa he would have needed to live in Rachel's building and date Rachel. And I think you'd have to be living under a rock not to know Friends. It was a show in the 90s. I'm a little concerned about you, Rod, because we had a conversation about the 90s, and apparently you must have slept through a lot of it. I did, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and yeah. Uh, you know, full disclosure, I have only seen snippets of friends here and there. I was yeah. never I was never a loyal viewer. So this will be, I'm going to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. I'm going to have to watch a few Friends episodes, get myself familiar with the show before we talk about it. So getting out of the comfort zone again. Something yeah. I don't do very often. I'm kind of like a cat. I'm very regimented, but, but go. someone in the group here has to be the exploratory one. I'm ready for it. And that's going to be you, Rod. So this was great. Fantastic. Good to see you as always, uh, yeah, Rod. Yeah, great to see you. The next time we record, we're have already going to have seen each other in person that's for the right. first time in a long time. We'll be different people. Yeah. So until next time, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby. 